Hey everybody, welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke from BurkeReviews.com, and with me from across the pond is the Kingsman to my statesman, Matt Hudson from WhatIWatchTonight.co.uk. Matt, how you doing, sir? Hello, John. Hello, world. I'm doing very well, my friend. I'm ready to talk film uh, with you again on this fine, chilly evening. I've had a good weekend to prepare for it. Family time. Went to a kid's party with my daughter, which was Always a good, always good fun. Free cake, uh, and this party had for the adult had beer, champagne, and scotch, which is not something I've ever seen at mm. a kids' party. But I think they kind of understood the psyche of most parents when they saw the entertainer. But um, so oh, I'm, I'm pumped up, ready to speak some film with you, my man. But first, I must ask, how are you? Keeping Florida safe. Yeah, you know, we're doing our thing. Um, my wife and I this weekend went to. Uh, I don't know if you have this over in the UK, but Hobby Lobby. Feel like probably not. Um, Depends what it is. Describe that for me. Well, I think it should be called words on wood because ninety percent <laughs> of the store are like like decorative signs that have like words scrawled on them in cursive. Um, like you know, live, laugh, love, that kind of I thing. I know uh, the type of store you mean. We have one called Hobby Craft, which is probably fairly similar. So, like the outer perimeter of the store are hobbies, and then like the inner stuff is all like knickknack, like wall stuff. You know, like hang on your wall. Here's a sign. Uh, here's that. And I think it's a similar store. Yeah. It's a big box store too, but um, it's it's got some cool stuff. I have some like uh, movie related content that I've gotten from there over the years. But they opened a new one. Uh, cl- it's kind of closer. It's more of a direct shot, I guess, from our house. So uh, my wife wanted to go Friday night, and so we like skyrocketed down there because it is um, they close at like eight. So like we didn't go till almost seven. Um, so like, to we the had, book, like, my th- bill. So, yeah, so we had like a 30 minute drive and we went there and, uh, you know, I, I walked around staring at my phone while she looked at all the stuff that we really should <laughs> never buy. Cause again, it it's typical. words on, on wood and it's overpriced. Um, I had fun. I, I, my friend. I made a joke in the car. I'm like, it's like words on wood for $60. And then like the very first one we stopped at, I'm like, how much is that? Oh, 59 99. Are you serious? <laughs> Did what you get the shot. side eye from your wife? <laughs> Uh, yes, a few times. Ah. Um, I make a lot of jokes in that story. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not. I'm not a fan per se. I understand why people like it. It, it. it does feel like a lot of overpriced stuff for again, mostly painted words on wood. Um, granted, the wood's nice and polished, and it's, it, it requires work. I'm not diminishing whoever's. I mean, they're mass market. It's not like they're being hand painted. Although I hope not, at least. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, the novelty's uh, worn off when they've become so popular to the point where, like you say, every store you go to, there there are words on wood or words on plaques. When realistically, yeah. you could probably just go on a uh, Google Doc, you could type these out, put it in a nice font, print it, and put it in the frame for about three bucks, and there you go, you've got your own Ex- one. Right, exactly. Um, That's a good idea. Even, actually, you know, type your own quotes and make them fun. That's what I think we should do: is just start doing like random words that don't don't fully work yeah movie quotes would be actually fun movie um, quotes or or some bloody awesome movie podcast isms we can get them on the wall somewhere <laughs> we're onto something here it, it's you know we we're giving these ideas away for free we should stop and move forward with this week's movie which yes. is a nightmare in and of itself just like hobby lobby it, it is uh guillermo <laughs> del toro's new film nightmare alley which in the states came out about a month ago but just dropped in theaters yeah. in the uk this weekend right Yes, sir. It dropped uh, weekend just gone. It's one of those uh, annoying uh, scheduling issues that we have sometimes on the BAMP, which I can't explain why this film dropped a month later, but it did. And But I've got to see it now for the benefit of myself, you guys, and the show. So I, I'm a Guillermo del Toro completionist. I've seen all of his movies, and I mm-hmm. like most of his original properties. I actually uh, I haven't seen Blade 2 since... Um, it was in theaters and I didn't know it was Guillermo del Toro when I saw Blade 2. Uh, you know, I was just I, seeing Blade 2 because I, I like Blade. about Blade 2 as a del Toro film. Yes. Uh, which I, maybe if I rewatch it, I'll appreciate it. I didn't like it much when I saw it the first time around. Mm-hmm. Um, I re- I love the first Blade back. I haven't watched it in a long time. I feel like it's, it feels like a nineties movie pretty hard, but yeah. uh, the second one I, I never got into, but I like most of del Toro stuff. So I was excited to see Nightmare Alley. I thought the trailer was really cool. And listeners, the thing that I found out on accident, um, knowing that this movie was coming at some point, this is back like in July time, I am browsing way too much of the Criterion Collection. I'm sorry, this is actually early November. I know this movie's coming out. I am looking at the the Criterion sale, scrolling through every page of the Criterion Blu-rays to see if there's anything I need to pay half price for while the sale is on. And I see a movie called Nightmare Alley, and I'm like, hold up. 
that's the new Del Toro film. And I, I know I've told this story before on the show, but just for some context, because I feel I am in a very small group of people who have seen both versions of Nightmare Alley. And I got the Criterion Blu-ray in November. I watched it before, like I think the week before I got to see Nightmare Alley in theaters here, the Del Toro one. And so I was one of the only people in the theater with the other critics who knew both versions of this film. And I think that matters. I I really do because I like this movie a lot. So the stats, this is as stated, directed by Del Toro, written by him and Kim Morgan for the screenplay, but it's adapted by a novel by William Lindsay Gresham. Um, Stars, big old Bradley Cooper, uh, Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe, Richard Jenkins, Rooney Mara. There's some other people here that I think are maybe worth mentioning. Not all of them have big roles, but you get uh, David Strathairn, I think is stupendous in this movie. Um, Ron Perlman, uh, Tim Blake Nelson shows up at one point. Um, those are the big names. I feel like Jim Beaver is recognizable. I like Jim Beaver. Um, uh, Clifton Collins Jr., who I always like, uh, you know, and a Mary Seen version. Um, always tremendous when she's in stuff. But I think all those names are worth mentioning. Um, they all have mostly small parts. This is Bradley Cooper's movie. Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. would be easily second with Rooney Morrow. Should be billed third, but isn't. Um, but, you know, politics. Um <laughs> the synopsis is an ambitious carny with t- a talent for uh, manipulating people with a, w- a few well-chosen words hooks up with a female psychiatrist who is even more dangerous than he is. I, I really hate that synopsis. It, it undersells this movie so much. Um, it's got an 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which I was actually very pleasantly surprised to see because m- the reaction in the theater that I was in was very mixed of the critics mm-hmm. that I was with. Um, 69 Metascore. 7.4 IMDb user score, 3.6 letterbox. Um, and it's currently only available in theaters. It's still not in VOD, even though it's about a month out. So we should be maybe two weeks away from this being on VOD here uh, in the States. Yeah, I think uh, so. The six the week window, give or take. Yeah. And that varies. Uh, I don't know what kind of Oscar buzz this movie is actually going to get. I, I definitely feel like it's going to get a Bradley Cooper nod. Um, I don't think it'll get Del Toro, another director nod. Um, and I don't think it's going to have a best picture nod. I, I don't think it's going to have that type of buzz. I think it'll um, get Dan Lousted another cinematography nod, though. Yes. Oh, man. This movie looks amazing. Mm-hmm. If anything, that you can't say anything about the look of this film. Oh, and production <laughs> design, like the sets and stuff are gorgeous in this movie. Um, and those kind of design. awards, uh, nominations, I say those kind, that's, that sounds denigrating. They're kind of below-the-line awards, like that, that nomination, it should, get, it should get an awful lot. And yeah. also on top of that, I think Nathan Johnson's score is fabulous. I thought oh. it was brilliant. I noticed it, and I thought it was perfect. So for me, um, knowing the, the original story, or at least the original film, which they're not, they're both adaptations of the novel. My understanding Del Toro is not directly trying to remake the movie, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of similarities in both films. This movie is, I think um, it's two hours and 30 minutes uh, exactly for this movie. And mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, I want to pull it up. Um, the 1947 film is only like an hour, uh, 45 minutes. Um, I remember you saying this an hour, 51 minutes, excuse me, hour and 51 minutes. And I got to say, as much as I like Del Toro's movie, and I think it's gorgeous, I think, if anything, that's what this movie wins, is it just looks fantastic. And I do think Bradley Cooper is so deserving of a Best Actor nod for this movie. I think he's fantastic here. Um, they, they do a better job with character development and storytelling in the 1947 film with less time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is mind-boggling, because with all the extra time, almost 40 extra minutes... And yet there's things that feel like loosely explained. And I don't feel like the relationships between characters are as defined as they were in the original film. Um, There's extra content that Del Toro adds. A lot of the flashback stuff with Bradley Cooper's character is not in the original film. Um, But man, I feel like the time that's uh, spent with the characters, they, they miss some opportunities, but I still, I knew the story. So I, I, some of the complaints I heard at my screening where like it was a little confusing or this felt under underdeveloped. And I'm like, I think I filled in the gaps with the other movie for like character issues and things like that, that helped me appreciate this film a lot. So I really, really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was compelling. Uh, it is like a, a, a noir. The original is noir. This is more, I guess, technically a neo-noir based because it's made yes. now. Um, 
but I, I'm a fan of that genre. It often works for me. I love the tropes. I love the looks. Um, as far as like both the, the costuming and as you mentioned, the cinematography, the lighting, mm. it's just gorgeous, lush. That lighting. It just looks amazing. And there's so many cool mm-hmm. sequences and there's some, uh, some really great performances. Willem Dafoe, again, he's not on screen a lot, but man, does he get some of my favorite moments in this movie? <laughs> um, uh, listener, if you, I didn't say this up front, but this is our spoiler free review. We will have a yes. spoiler review on Monday. Um, but we're keeping it very, very basic here, but I really enjoyed this again. This is over a month since I've seen this movie and I still remember a lot of the, the elements. Um, I got to say I, the 47 one is a movie that I think I will revisit a lot. I really, really connected with that film. I thought it was really great. And to a degree, it's one of those, it's a rare moment for me to like find this old movie that it doesn't seem like anyone else knows about. Obviously people know about it. It's in the criterion collection. It's not like I I found it in a a drawer somewhere, (laughs) but no one was talking about this being a remake in my world, my sphere of film people. And so I was hyped that I found it. And then I, uh, when I saw it, 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 it does feel like I'm one of the few and man, is it worth it? So if, if listener, you see Del Toro's and you like it at all, I definitely recommend you go back. Now I am a Del Toro fan. So a lot of his style and stuff that comes through in this film really worked for me. I can see why someone maybe got bored with this. It is a little long winded, but uh, man, there's so many cool performance elements in this film. Um, Tony Collette also doesn't get a lot to do, but man, I, she's such a powerhouse when she has moments. I, I just thought she was great. Matt, I've, I've talked more than I probably should. What did you, uh, it seems like you're positive on it. What were your thoughts? Well, there's never a time in history where John Burke can talk too much. Um, I, yeah, I, I echo most of what you say, but what I will say is with, in terms of where I would line this up, I, I'm going to side more maybe with maybe the IMDB score of kind of 7.4 because uh, I loved everything below the line, like we've mentioned. I think that, I think Kate Blanchett, I mean, as soon as she comes on screen, you're like, okay, right. <laughs> I know exactly where this is going, but I think she's very good. Br- Bradley Cooper is really good, though I couldn't take my mind off the fact that he looks a lot like Ryan Gosling in certain scenes and I couldn't get it in my head. Everyone's really good. Willem Dafoe is is so good in this. Uh, Mary Steenburgen and when she shows up is great as well. There's no bad performances, but my, my biggest bugbear was it like, like you said, it it's too long and it felt too long. And that took me out and that took away some of the tension for me because I think, Again, whilst we're remaining spoiler free, for me the third act was by far the best act of this film. Uh, but I, but I feel like something was missing because I couldn't connect with the characters in the in the lead up to that. In fact, the first hour of this film, I think I actually kind of clocked it as about one hour six minutes. It was I, I kind of felt like I thought, well, where are we going with this? I don't feel like we're gaining a momentum, and the the best noirs for me. I'm thinking something like Strangers on a Train, not Strangers on a Train, sorry, uh, Double Indemnity and stuff like that. Oh. You know, they, 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 there's the, the mystery and intrigue is built from straight away. It's right there from minute one. And I felt that whilst Nightmare Alley has some great scenes up top, especially when they're, especially in the carny world and finding out all about the geeks and things like that, they're really good scenes there. But it wasn't until Kate Blanchett's character shows up part way about halfway through the film where for me it really starts to pick up now you know things start to happen i'm getting invested a little bit more um but i was just never fully 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 drawn in by it. and i didn't take john's advice <laughs> on purpose this time jb said uh last week check out the check out the 47 one first and then this one i was going to but then i thought well john's going to come at it with the benefit of having seen both of them wouldn't it be interesting in my head if, if I come at it from just this version and basing it on its own merits and um, hoping that I, it would blow me away. And a lot of, a lot of things did. I think the music by Nathan Johnson, uh, Ryan Johnson's cousin is, is, is great. Again, it's brilliant looking. I think some of the uh, manipulative moments of the, the deceptions are very good. I really like those. There's not much I actually don't like about Nightmare Alley. The only thing I can't say is that it just did not didn't get his hooks into me and and, and and pull me through um but i do like for the vast majority of del toro's work this feels like a del toro film it certainly looks like one as we mentioned with um dan Lawson um as a cinematographer uh, but obviously this one 
this one has it's it has that kind of morality that mm. del toro imbues all of his films with which i think was works in this case it's not necessarily a noir trope but it works here um and i like what he brings to this film having not seen the original one i think this is a very decent very decent neo-noir and i'm thinking trying to think of recent ones uh that have come out which blew me away i mean recently we saw reminiscence uh the little things not brilliant uh bad times at the royale i know you loved that knives out i, I love very that. much yeah and you've got serenity things like that i mean there's there's not many that i can think of that really really blow me away but i think nightmare alley is more than <coughs> solid i think it's a very good neo-noir film i just wish it had been doesn't even need to be 40 minutes longer uh, to match the original. Just 15, Surely. 20 minutes just to get a little bit more urgency to go with the mystery and the intrigue and the deception that it, it built up. A lot of the well. complaints that I heard were the middle section is where people really <laughs> fell off. Um, and I don't feel like that happens in the original film. And I, I kind of partly I think it moves a little quicker. Also, I think on what the original mm-hmm. film decides to focus on is is more clear because when the therapist character shows up in the original film, I think um, you have, you have seen this guy's life up to that point. And there's a struggle. He's constantly trying to be more than right. Like he's never, he never feels like he gets his fair shot, his fair share of things. Um, And I think this movie partly focusing on that, like his motivation as to like why he joins the carnival feels almost like unnecessary and superfluous. Um, and if anything, it almost paints it on the nose of like the morality issue that they're, you're bringing up. And yeah. I think the, the other film is a little more ambiguous with that at first. And there are some, oh, in fact, I think there's a lot more ambiguity, ambiguity in general with the character of Stan in the original um, See, I film. I would have wanted that here. That's, that's the kind of thing yeah. I would have wanted here to really pull me. Cause I didn't feel, and again, noir films aren't necessarily the films you go to, to feel a deep connection with the characters, but I just didn't really feel anything despite them excelling within their roles. I wasn't in. And when we got to the final act, I wasn't kind of, I wasn't as sucked in as I hoped I was going to be. Well, and whilst I thought it was a very good, uh, sequence, uh, sequence, uh, uh, a collection of good sequences to end. Sorry. Yeah. I just wish I'd had just that kind of emotional punch, which I don't know if it's in the original, but I think it, 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 it was missing for me here. I would agree uh, with the rating. You said like you, you kind of side with the 7.4. That's where I'm yeah. at with this too. Like, I think this is like a, a good, like, you know, it's a, it's a 75% type of film. Like it's not perfect. It's very watchable. Uh, it looks fantastic. Uh, like you said, all of the, all of the technical stuff is strong. It's got the yeah. style that Del Toro brings. It, it's the clarity that's kind of lacking. Um, and I, I think it focuses on areas that maybe, it shouldn't and it loses things that it should like it, it you like not that's to, the best way to put it yeah and, and i think the original to me the original is a must-see film like i think it's a masterpiece uh, of noir that maybe got overlooked because it isn't a detective story in the same way yes and i love that um in fact the the terror cards which feel like an afterthought in this movie mm-hmm. are so important in the original because they are a storytelling mechanism that recur multiple times throughout the film in, in a major, like meaningful way. And this one, I got um, a care package sent to me with nothing, no information at all. Um, but I got a, uh, like a little notebook that says nightmare alley on it. That looks like yeah. something he has his little diary. And then I got a pack of tarot cards. I'm like, yeah, but you guys didn't actually like do anything with the tarot cards. Like there's a scene, but even that scene feels like it's very extra. superfluous. That scene is. And there, there are even, and, and certain characters that hover around the use of those tarot cards. I do also feel that there could have been more with them. If you're going to introduce them, do more yes. with them. Kind of people just show up and then that's it. They're so significant in the original film. And that's what oh, I, I'm saying. Man. Like somehow go with, back and watch this with less time they do so much more. It feels like with character. And I, I, there's a few things that I can think of from this film that I'm like, yeah, they opted to to show this and they opted to do that. And those things don't pay off in a way that is meaningful or powerful because Mm -hmm. they're not about the character. They're just like these little moments, these little scenes that occur where in the original film, I feel like everything that's happening is about Stan and like why he's doing what he's doing and what his ambitions are. And yet you're never like just outright told anything. A lot of it is like, did he do this or did he not do that? Like, was Mm -hmm. it intentional or was it an accident? And sometimes it's really hard to tell. 
And so it makes you on guard because you're like, can I trust Stan? Can I, do I really want to root for Stan or not? And I feel like in this movie, yes. And then also no, like, like Del Toro is like, no, well, here's this information you should know about Stan, Mm -hmm. but maybe you still like Stan. You're like, well, I don't, I don't know. And I know are you, the characters are often not supposed to be rooted for. They're doing exactly bad things because they're desperate or because they long for something. And there's this nihilism and fatalism that often carries through the, the genre. And again, I think the original film nails that. And I think this film is maybe like walking a line, like trying to be a little too modern while being a throwback. Um, yeah, I think some of the dialogue doesn't help. And I don't think it's a badly written film, but there are certain instances where kind of fairly contemporary phrases are used, which mm. feel out of place. Not many, but they just feel out of place. And I, I need to go back and watch the 47 uh, original. I, really because I wasn't aware, like John was saying, I wasn't aware that this was a remake until JB mentioned it a few weeks or so ago. But to hear, to hear JB talk so glowingly about a, a film way back from 1947, that excites me because yeah. I, I like John. I I love I love the classics from the the old black and whites. And but um, uh, there are always uh, gaps in my list. And clearly, Nightmare Alley nineteen forty seven is one of them. I really need to check this out because if it's, as, I will if, say it. if it's as good as if it's if it's this film but better, then that works for me because I think this film is is a brilliant foundation, but mm-hmm. it just needs you know that cement to keep the. Bricks and I will in. say, um the the packaging for the Criterion Blu-ray comes with tarot cards in it too. So it's one of the coolest like Blu-rays I've gotten from Criterion where like, it's not just the cool box art because the box art looks fantastic on most Criterions. <laughs> That's one of the reasons to go Criterion. But the, like, I yeah. usually don't get like, you get like a little book inside or whatever. This came with like the tarot cards that are, are it's and not a focusing on them. It's, yeah. Because it's so important in the story. <laughs> um, and not this it, one. It's so good. Um, yeah, I really, I, a listener, I, I do recommend Del Toro's film, especially if you are a fan of his other stuff. I think, I, mm-hmm. I don't think you'll be disappointed. You might not think it's his best work, and I, I don't think this is his best work, but I do really like this movie. I do think the performances are really cool. I think it looks awesome. I will most likely add it to my collection at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, because I do think there's a lot of merit here to, to, to showcase, but, at the same time, I do think, man, there's some something about like less is more, uh, and I feel like 2021 there was an increase in run times for like a lot of the big movies, and this is one where it's like it's unnecessary. Um, and again, it doesn't feel like it adds anything; it just feels bloated, and you could trim off a lot of the fat. So, I think I'd give this one one out one th- one thumbs up out of two because I have two thumbs. I put one of them up in this case. Ooh. Go check it out; it's worth watching. But um, it would seem like the original hasn't been trumped in this case. Yes. And I would encourage again, listeners, especially if you're a criterion collector and you've, you've slept on this one. Cause again, it feels like a lot of people have uh, pick it up because again, it's a, it's a good box, but also it's a good movie. So double the reason to pitch, pick up the, uh, the criterion with that folks, we say, yeah, check it out. If it's around mm-hmm. playing near you. Um, otherwise mm-hmm. let's get to our next segment. Choft headlines. Uh, these are movie or pop culture news headlines that had caught our attention, and we had to dig a little deeper uh, so that we could talk about it here on the podcast. So, Matt, what headline caught your eye? I'm already looking at it, and I'm like, oh, yes, I caught, yep. this caught my eye, too. I knew this would, but so I knew that this would um, titillate John's senses, but uh, it also uh, got me thinking, and I knew it, and it's a film which I still, I've said before, I still can't believe this film's coming out in about five or six weeks. I still think it's like nine months away. The Batman it's from the Hollywood reporter. So, you know, it's as legit as it can be. Uh, Robert Pattinson's the Batman runs nearly three hours with credits. So that's uh, the second longest superhero flick of all time. It's being called after uh, Avengers Endgame, which is 17 hours long. But yeah, the Hollywood Reporter are saying that insiders at Warner Brothers have said the movie runs two hours, 55 minutes, which does include eight minutes of credit. So two hours, 47 minutes of the Caped Crusader, uh, which, of, which, of course, on, on paper, you like give me as much Batman as possible, um, especially with Matt Reeves directing everything we've seen in the trailers and what we know about the story, which, to be fair, isn't an awful lot. Plus, we now know it's got a PG-13 rating, which... Uh, is by all intents and purposes going to push the boundaries of that PG-13. There's, there's a lot to be excited about. I, uh, I read uh, also that there was a four-hour screening of the film, which was shown to 
uh, insiders. So, you know, there was a four hour cut, which has now been cut down by an hour. So it looks yeah, like. I was, was going to ask if you knew about the four hour I thing. Did, yeah, I did, yeah. Because my first thought was, okay, it's two hours 55. It will be chuck, it will be cut down by 20 minutes or so for theatrically. But when you realize that there's a four hour one, well, no, this is the, this is the edited version. Um, now, Oh, it's exciting if, in one way because uh, I know John's John will speak to this as well. But John's a big Batman fan. I love Batman as well. I love pretty much most of the Batman films. I think Robert Pattinson is a wonderful actor. I can't wait to see Paul Dano. Just this cast is great. Everything about this, everything I've seen, gets me excited. Um, Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman looks great. So the idea of getting two hours and fifty odd minutes of that is brilliant. However, of course. That all depends on whether this is a good story to tell. Is there really that much story to be fleshed out in in this film? That has been that could be four hours to start with. Is that Matt Reeves being so uh, super generous with his own editing, or mm. is this the first of a trilogy or whatever? And they, they've got an awful lot of exposition, a lot of setup, or they want to get as much as they can done do out of the way about Bruce in his kind of formative days as Batman. So the later films can really dive into it. I've no idea because we don't know about the film yet, but I'm yeah. not going to lie, dude, hearing this runtime, usually it makes me run for the hills when I see a film this long, because it scares me. But what I've seen from the marketing and the promotional materials and the trailers, I am here for this. Now I hope it doesn't disappoint, but yeah. I can't fault anything I've seen so far, but um, you are the big Batman fan. It's almost three hours for Matt Reeves, Robert Pattinson's Batman film. Any uh, any nerves, any anxiety, or are you in? No, um, I'm in. Uh, especially <laughs> yeah. knowing that this is like a dark detective story that has a Fincher vibe in the trailer. Yeah. Anyways, um, I'm like, yeah, okay, three hours sounds right. Like that sounds like the right amount of time to tell a really extensive mystery that's dark and and you know looming. Um, I. I don't want to start this, but I well, feel like. Would, would, sorry, would we would we bat an eyelid if it was a David Fincher like Zodiac esque um, crime thriller that was two hours 40, 45, 50 minutes? Would we think, oh, was that too long, or is it just because it's a Batman film that people may raise questions? It's a good point. Yeah, I, I, I think in this scenario though, I think it's worth noting that uh, Justice League was three hours, right? And the Snyder cuts four hours. Ooh, um, yes. Endgame and Infinity War were close to three hours. Like, I, mm-hmm. I feel like at this point, the big comic book movies are starting to become normalized at this runtime. What, uh, No Way Home was 2.30, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's almost, be- again, I think this is a problem. I don't think movies need to always be three hours. So collectively, I'm not advocating for this, but it does feel like it is kind of, it's not that shocking anymore. Like to, to see a, especially again, a comic book movie. And again, a detective mystery with a dark tone, which uh, if it was Fincher, like you said, I don't think so. I don't think people bat an eye um, to, to almost paraphrase uh, Joker. You know, you, you do a superhero movie at two hours and no one says a thing. You make it three hours and everyone freaks out, you know, loses um, their minds. Yeah. But I, I'm afraid the fact that we know there was a four hour cut that we're going to get like release the Reeves cut or, you know, oh, like, man. um, I don't want that to become a trend. I do not want the Snyder cut thing to become a trend. I want one version of the movie. Yes. I know that director's cuts have existed, but many times those are bullcrap, bullcrap marketing sales to like push DVD sales up. Like get the unrated yeah. cut. It's unrated because they didn't put this version through the ratings board. It doesn't mean there's anything actually extra, devious or whatever sometimes there is but a lot of times it's just a marketing buzzword to get people to buy the disc because they already bought the other one so here's the oh i gotta have the other version of the thing um and often those versions aren't better there's a lot of times there's a reason it gets trimmed down in the first place um so i i hope this is not gonna be like that they're not setting up like a future like oh get this i I hope that if there was cool stuff in that fourth hour that we're not gonna see I hope they put it on as deleted scenes. Like it used to be, you know, you can watch them or you cannot watch them. Don't, don't do another cut of the movie. Like let's, let's make this the story. Um, Keep it, you know, trim and, and and svelte. If this ends up being feeling bloated or whatever, I hope that we start to see the times coming down. I hope that times don't keep going up because again, at some point, are we just making TV series and, and refusing to call them that? Like, you know, um, yeah, 
but I, I'm I'm not scared with the Batman. I, I'm I'm all in on this movie. Uh, it, everything about it has looked amazing. I am so hyped. I can't wait. Yep, I I, I agree with there, my friend. And also, yeah, f- a four-hour-long film doesn't equate to good just because it has a Batman in it. You know, <laughs> there's yes. a reason why a lot of this stuff gets cut. So, uh, yeah, that's that's my headline, my friend. What have you gone for this week? So, um, I recently saw Cyrano, the Peter Dinklage film, mm-hmm. um, and. I I saw his name on a headline and I thought it was both uh, really interesting, a little bit, not funny in like a bad way, but like, I think I kind of feel like the tone of the headline implies that Dinklage was like being sincere, but also like, what is happening? Um, I, I think long since I've been complaining about the Disney live action adaptations of their properties. Most of them have not been great. Um, I have liked, I think maybe two of them, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, but Dinklage is blasting Disney for uh, the Snow White remake. And um, he says a effing backwards story about dwarves. Um, this is an interview from Variety that I, uh, I read, but actually I think the interview was originally done on Slate. No, no, I'm sorry. I saw a different word. Uh, it was Disney's live action Slate. Um, this is one of many movies that Disney has green light, green lighted to be made to adapt their old animated stuff. But Dinklage is not thrilled about uh, the depiction of dwarves in the Snow White movies um, and uh, and stories in general. And he's just like, why are we still making this? Like, what is this? And uh, he said it on the, what the WTF Mark Maron's podcast. Um, And so that's, there's definitely going to, because if you've ever listened to that podcast, there's always a lighthearted kind of conversational approach that Maron tries to bring to the, the the interviews. Um, So I think it's sincere. I think he's genuinely like, what the hell? Why are we still making this type of movie where, you know, dwarves are depicted like this. Um, but he says there's a lot of hypocrisy going on. Literally no offense to anyone, but I was a little taken aback when they were very proud to cast a Latina actress as Snow White, but you're still telling the story of Snow White and the seven dwarves. Take a step back and look at what you're doing there. It makes no sense. So he's saying like, good for you for casting a Latina actress as Snow White, which I actually hadn't heard anything about this movie. I didn't know. I was aware of that. Yes. Um, which I'm sure there was an uproar about that too, but he, his point isn't like <laughs> cool, but you're depicting another demographic in a negative way. And like, I don't know how they could change it. I don't know if there is like, uh, if he has an idea of how it could be done tastefully, or if it's just like, no, wipe this off the board. I don't like it. But uh, he says you're progressive in one way, but then you're still making the effing backwards story about seven dwarves living in a cave together. What are you doing, man? Have I done nothing to advance the cause for my soapbox? I guess I'm not loud enough. I don't know which studio that is, but the, uh, but they were so proud of it all love and respect to the actress and all the people who thought they were doing the right thing. But I'm just like, what are you doing? So he is legitimately not thrilled that this is happening. Um, and I guess encourages that if they're going to do it, like let's, let's make this progressive all the way around where the dwarves are not depicted in such a way, which I, to be fair, I, I don't know that we know how they're being depicted yet, but I feel like he's probably right. I doubt that's the part of the story that they were thinking about. Cause I don't feel like, um, I don't even, I feel unsure of what word to use right now. Um, to like, if, if dwarf is the current appropriate term or I know midget's not acceptable and I'm not saying, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm saying the word as like, it's not a term I believe that yes, was, yeah. uh, circulated any longer. But I think that's kind of the point is that it is so unclear. It is not, um, a demographic that gets enough discussion when we talk about like, like political correctness and how uh, they deserve to be depicted on screen. It's, I don't think they're a demographic that is represented um, in that way. And here Dinklage is, um, you know, pointing that out that like this, this is a area that has been depicted negatively for a long time, often butts of jokes in movies and stories. Right. Um, and the, the dwarves in the, the title of the snow white and seven dwarves, I think fit that criteria pretty well. So he has, a, I think, a fair argument to, to be made here. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the seven Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, obviously, when it came out, is a film that's of its time. But let's not let's not forget that we had um, Snow White and uh, what's it called, the Huntsman, Kristen Stewart's film, where yes. they had you know uh, actors of uh, an average, a normal height, an average height, who were then you know put onto small bodies which in itself is awful so yeah there seems to be a trend 
with this film. But I again, if you're going to speak about this or you want somebody to speak about this subject, Peter Dinklage, of course, is somebody who is very well placed to be able to talk about this uh, and has the life experience to go along with it from the outside. I can see exactly what Peter Dinklage is saying that, look, if you're going to make this film, fine. You know, it's a, it's a classic fairy tale. However, the stereotypes that are are enforced within it are outdated now. So let's try and put something new on it. I don't think that's too controversial to ask. I don't think that's too pandering or too uh, woke or whatever the buzzwords are. I can't stand the use of that word. Um, But they have, but it, we don't know if that's the case, but it would seem that like they haven't. So by taking one step forward uh, in, in, in casting a Latino actress uh, as Snow White, that's, that, that's good on one hand, but yeah. like Peter Dinklage said, on the other hand, the story still remains the same. They're still reinforcing those stereotypes um, about the, uh, the dwarfism community, which Peter Dinklage quite rightly is going to take umbrage with, and he won't be the, he won't be the only one who does so i don't think not that i could ever have an issue with it but i don't think there's anything wrong whatsoever with peter dinglidge calling this out and saying you know yeah. shame on you for not you know you're, you're especially disney who seem to you know to, who want to run before they walk sometimes in terms of pro- showing how progressive they are they don't half know how to shoot themselves in the foot an awful lot of times with uh whether it's uh taking finn john boyga off the chinese poster for uh, the rise of Sky for the rise of Skywalk, I think it was um, taking him off there, or um, kind of the progressive things they do with the OG uh, TBQ stuff in their Marvel and Star Wars films, which seem nothing more than just sort of token gestures. You know, if they're going to do it, you know, do it. Show show your hand properly. And I think what Peter Dinklage has said should be applauded, but at the same time, should it? Because it, we're you know we're living in a time now where the story is outdated. You know, whether that makes me sound like a a raging SJW or not, I don't care. It is. So, and if, and if Peter Dinklage, uh, somebody who has every right to feel offended, is offended by it, then, you know, who am I to say otherwise? Yeah. No, I don't disagree. And that's uh, what caught my eye, because I think, it, I, again, I, I I wouldn't have thought about it in that way without Dinklage speaking up about it. So I'm yes. glad that he said it. Um, and again, even more, like I wouldn't have thought much about Snow White because I'm not super hyped about any of their live action adaptations. Um, because so, I mean, of the stories that they've done, that one has potential to be interesting as a live action because at least it's actually people versus like the Lion King, which I still can't get past us <laughs> calling it live action for a CG animated movie. But, you know, whatever. Um, thanks, Disney, for just getting more of our money um well that's our headlines folks let's move into what we've been consuming since the last time we recorded this is our media consumption movies tv video games music podcasts etc that we have used to pass the time between episodes and between our movie of the week matt what have you been watching and or listening to watching listening to last week i said i'd watch the marvel shows and i'll tell you something jb i haven't yet and as i said off off air to john uh, I was so pumped to do it last week because me and John and myself spoke on, um, we did a Patreon show for Star Wars Sessions, of which I co-host. And on there, we spoke about Marvel shows. And I said, right, I'm going to watch them this week. Loki, what if, uh, and Hawkeye, or at least start them. And I had every intention to, but work got in the way. I'm working from home at the minute because of COVID uh, and, and for the remainder of this week. And it just got too busy to the point where I wouldn't be able to concentrate. It would just be background noise of which I wouldn't have any... Uh, understanding or comprehension of what's happening so i haven't been able to get around to it but i am going to do everything i can to watch them this week or at least start so at least i can say look john i've watched the loki or the first x amount of episodes of loki i've started nothing against the marvel shows it was just time however i have watched all the star wars shows (laughs) i've watched the book of boba fett um chapter four which i think john will mention on his uh, section as well all i'll say is I thought it was a very good episode, but I'll save that for when JB um, jumps on. Uh, and I, I re- started to rewatch Star Wars Resistance, the kind of lesser known, lesser liked animated series of recent years. It's set around the sequel trilogy era. Uh, I've started watching it yesterday because they're only 20 minutes and I've blasted through most of it already. There's two seasons and surprisingly enjoying it because I seem to remember thinking, well, this is a bit you know this is a bit wishy-washy you could probably do without this but no actually second time round 
uh, I'm quite enjoying it and I'm going to have to eat a lot of humble pie uh, when I go back to the sessions about this. So that's what mm. I've been watching. No films this week because I said I've been very I've been busy with work and over the weekend with family Saturday and uh, partying with uh, kids birthday cake on Sunday. But I've been listening to some podcasts <laughs> to, uh, Rebel Force Radio, which is a Star Wars podcast because uh, I've been listening to them specifically because they had Book of Boba Fett recaps like we do on sessions, but they're kind of two and a bit hours long. And as for, for somebody who's in into all that, I'm ha- I can listen to that back and forward from picking up Olivia, um, even though these session ones are better. Uh, and I've also listened to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong about Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, again, it seems like a very Star Wars week uh, that wasn't actually by design because I also listened to the uh, Happy Sad Confused podcast episode with Andrew Garfield, where he finally got to spill the beans to Josh Horowitz about lying about his involvement ah. in Spider Man No Way Home. And there were some great stories, and it was yeah. just so much fun to hear Andrew Garfield finally being able to talk about it. So definitely check out the Happy Sad Confused podcast with Andrew Garfield. And I like that show. I think Josh Horowitz is a great host. Uh, I also like uh, the Mark Marone podcast as well, but um, that is pretty much all I've been doing. I'm trying to think of as I played Four Guys with my daughter this week on PS4 uh, this weekend. I think that's pretty much all I've been consuming this week, JB. But um, yeah, that is definitely it. So, what about yourself, my friend? You've always got a good collect selection. Well, as per usual, the uh, Blank Check Podcast. The the new episode um, of the Jane Campion series was the Angel at My Table episode which i had watched on uh the criterion channel a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago um uh a very compelling story very well-made film I'm, I'm excited though matt because next week is the piano and my copy of mm-hmm. the piano came in which i'll talk about momentarily in fact but um and then they're uh they're doing the um uh what do you call it commentary series on the ghostbusters movies all four including the kevin uh feig or uh sorry paul feig not kevin feige yep. paul feig, um <laughs> movie uh they just did the, the episode for ghostbusters 2 dropped this past oh, yeah. weekend and i listened to it um they're not as big a fan um they're definitely uh they came they're a little younger than us so they came to ghostbusters later where like for us it was like such a formative movie um that yeah. ghostbusters 2 i also still liked as a kid i do think it has its flaws there's things that make zero sense like you can't you'll never be able to justify the the statue of liberty stuff if everyone forgets about the first film's events <laughs> Yeah, yes, that too. Um, and that's a common sequel trope, though, right? Like, to, to just kind of wipe the slate clean of yeah. the first movie. I like the sequel. Uh, I, I rewatched it yeah. the, when before or after life. And would, would, can I sit here hand on heart and say, this is excellent? No, I can't. But it's Ghostbusters. I watched it so much as a kid. I love it. There's great moments in it. And it's it's the gang. So it, yeah. it gets a pass for me. Exactly. It, it, a lot of it's dumb. But on uh, <laughs> yeah. I will always just do what you just did is nostalgia for me. I grew up watching it. I yeah. never cared that it wasn't perfect because it was more of what I wanted at the time. That's mm-hmm. that, as a kid, that's what you want. You want it. I want more ghostbusters. Okay, here you go. Like the animated series, the same thing. I, I like the animated yes. series as a kid. I don't know if it's actually good or not, but I liked it as a kid. You know, but you um, weren't thinking about that as kids were. We, I wasn't thinking about, Hmm. Why does nobody remember? Oh, I'm sure everyone's going to remember the statue of Liberty moving or uh, I never cared about the intricacies of how mood slime works. It was just fun. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But um, it's a good episode, despite them not loving the movie. Um, I, I am I am so aware how bad they're going to bash Afterlife, and I am very much like putting my <laughs> card up, because I am so on the other side of that movie than Same. they are. Um, yeah. But uh, So for movies, uh, Sundance is happening right now, and because of COVID, it is virtual, so I'm able to buy tickets. I am not a critic approved. I didn't actually apply, because originally it wasn't going to be uh, virtual. It was going to be mostly in-person. Um, but Omicron happened, so they decided it was smart to go just virtual. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of wish I'd applied. I probably still wouldn't have got in because I'm not that uh, big of a critic yet, but or probably yes, haven't. But uh, nevertheless, uh, Big Tuna is covering it, um, and nice. uh, he has been like feeding me movies that I had to see. It's not cheap to watch them online, to be honest. And they did; they still limit tickets, so you can, like a lot of the movies are sold out at this point. So even if you wanted to jump in the last couple of days, you probably can't unless it's a movie that isn't doing super well. Um, but uh, I've seen two, and I have one today. In fact, later on tonight, I'll be watching my third and final Sundance movie because uh, they're twenty bucks a piece. So sixty bucks for three movies is a lot. Um, but uh, I saw um, 
Riley Stearns. Uh, I don't know if you saw the Art of Self Defense from a couple of years ago. I did not know. Um, I, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, the director's Riley Stearns, and his new film Duel um, dropped at Sundance, and it stars uh, oh oh Kat, uh, Gillian uh, Karen Gillian. Um, sorry, my brain was like all over the place with her name. I was like, wait, what is it? Um, and uh, Aaron Paul is in it, but not a lot. But he's in it enough that like he definitely deserves to be mentioned. Um, really cool movie. Uh, I, I had not seen his, he only has three films, Riley Stearns. I'd seen Art of Self-Defense. Um, I saw Duel and after watching Duel, I'm like, man, this guy has a familiar vibe. So I, I wanted to see his first film, which happened to be on Paramount Plus. So I watched Faults on Sunday. Um, and he is the American Yorgos Lanthimos. That's the, the closest match. Okay. Uh, he has very unique style. Um, like his characters have, they talk in kind of stilted dialogue, similar to like old M night shot, like as in old, the movie old M night Shyamalan. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like Lanthimos and, and lobster, like the characters are very, uh, matter of fact, you know, they, they say things kind of flat monotone. You, they don't seem to hold anything back. They're very open and honest, very much similar vibe in all three of, uh, Stern's movies, especially art of self-defense and duel. I think that is like really on, on point there. Um, I think they deal with a lot of similar themes and uh, dark humor in their movies. Um, Faults is amazing. Uh, I really like Faults a lot. Duel is also really great. Um, and I'm a, I, this guy is just, he clicks for me. He also clicks for Tuna. Tuna and I are big Yorgos Lanthimos fans. And so this dude is similar sensibilities and style. And it, it's very cool. I, I recommend both of those movies. Faults, again, is on Paramount+. Plus. If you haven't seen it, um, it stars Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who I am a huge fan of and i didn't know yeah. this but riley stearns was married to her um and so like a lot of his early shorts and then his first feature she is the lead um which is perfect because she's great um so i watched those two and then uh i was looking for something i literally spent like an hour looking for a movie to watch on sunday oh well, like, i hate that <laughs> I, I and i went to every streaming service that i have i went to the movies that i own and hadn't seen um, and I was just like, man, what do I watch? What do I want to invest time? What was I in the mood for? And I ended up with Mike Mills Beginners um, that stars Ewan McGregor and uh, Christopher Plummer. And I'm going to forget the actress's name because I have not seen her in much else. But she's in Inglorious Bastards. That's the other movie, like the, the French woman from Inglorious. Um, I had not seen this. Corey, my uh, other podcast partner, had been recommending this movie for a long time. She, it's a favorite of hers. Um, Mike, Mich- Mike Mills, excuse me, also did... Uh, Come on, come on! From last year and yep. um, uh, 20th Century Woman, with uh, which I'm I like. I have found I don't think Mike Mills completely works for me. He's like a uh, if we're going out of five stars, I say he's like a three and a half to four star director to me. Like I always like his movies, but there's always something missing to completely I'm sell. I'm going to walk you with that. Like I think he's very competent filmmaker for sure. Uh, his movies are always a little optimistic, which I love. I like optimism, especially in today's world. It's often needed, but there's always something that's just holding me back from loving the movie. Like it's always like, man, that was good. Why don't mm-hmm. I love it though? Like, come on, come on. A lot of people that was like their movie. I'm like, I thought it was solid. Wouldn't want to watch it again. Really, like uh, it's not a film I'm drawn to. Yeah, of the I three, thought it was fine. Yeah, right. It's it's. There's nothing <laughs> wrong. It's just not outstanding but beginners mcgregor is and actually plumber is too i love plumber in this movie Mm -hmm. um it was it was the closest of his films to really win me over completely um but it it still had there was still something at the end where i'm just like i'm not blown away and i feel like i could have been i feel like this premise is right there there's so much to it um there's a lot of little moments that i thought were like touching but it didn't like it never really brought me to tears and it's like the subject matter sh- could and the performers could, but there's just something missing. And again, I, it may, it could be me. It may not be Mill's fault, but maybe whatever it is inside me that isn't clicking with his sensibilities is just holding me back. Um, but as I mentioned, big tuna was feeding me what movies to watch. Uh, he told me to happening. It's called <laughs> happening. It's not the happening. It's called I was going to say, it's not that one. Okay. Um, it's a French film. Uh, it's set in 1960. Um, and I did not know this, but in the 1960s in France, uh, abortions were like severely illegal. Were yes. like even inquiring about one could get you in jail kind of thing. Like it was not something you could even investigate kind of thing. 
and we're following a young girl at the university um, who has ambitions of being something. She wants her freedom. She wants her independence and ends up pregnant. Um, mm-hmm. And then her life trying to figure out how to navigate this very difficult time to make the choice. Cause essentially she doesn't have a choice in that, in that time period. It is one of the most harrowing films I've ever witnessed. Um, wow. It's a, a film I can't, comfortably recommend because i don't know that everyone will be comfortable with some of the sequences that you will have to sit through um but it is a eye-opening view to a world that most people will never have to be a part of um for one reason or another if you're a man inherently you don't know what this choice is like and i i don't know that i've ever seen a film put it in such a horrifying tone like like i've seen the tough tones like never rarely sometimes always i think you you have to sit with her you have to be with her as she's making a tough decision that's not easy to do nor is it easy access for her in that movie this is so much worse it almost at times feels like a horror film um and there are some sequences where you are in a room that you would never expect to have to be in oh and but it's it's done tastefully. It's a female director, so there's no male gaze. It's not mm-hmm. that, but you are you are going to witness things and see the horrors of of a world where a woman doesn't have a choice. And given what's happening here in the states right now, where a mm-hmm. woman's choice uh, is is at stake again, as Roe v. Wade is going to be addressed and possibly overturned by our Supreme Court. Um, I think this movie is prescient in a way that maybe wasn't anticipated when it was being made or yep. the fact that it's set in 1960s France and it's still a topic that we are debating is why this movie has been made, you know, to really make you feel and sit with what a woman has to go through. I would probably argue it's the latter, the latter because we know in within the last yeah. 12 months, it's been a big, big, big issue with the, Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of coverage and lots of men putting ch- chiming in when maybe it's probably best not to. So I will check yeah. this film out on the recommendation of yourself and and Tuna, of course. But, um, but it's, it's a myself. recommendation with a caveat because it is yeah. tough. I looked away from this thing a couple of times, and it wasn't even like that. It was showing. It was just like the fear that they might show something had me like, oh my god, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. But I also. I, I'm not mad at the movie for having it, but it's like, I do feel like people need to be prepared. The, the Q and a, um, I won't say any details, but there was a Q and a afterwards. I, I like, I don't always watch Q and a's cause a lot of times I find questions that people ask to be annoying more so than like, and, and <laughs> um, but the, uh, the moderator said he usually like, is not with horror movies. That's usually, and this is not listed as horror either, but, um, and he said like, that's his wheelhouse. Like he's all about horror and like stuff. And he said there was a scene in this that made him lightheaded and he had to pause the movie and step outside. So, you know, that, that, that. Right. Okay. Um, is, um, I don't know when it's available in the United Kingdom. Yeah, I don't either. It's a Sundance. So check it probably doesn't have out. distribution yet. Um, I would definitely check it out because it's, yeah. like you say, it's, it, it, I, I'll watch it because yourself and Tuna have given it, it the kind of yeah. given it the recommendation from a from an artistic level but of course with the caveat that this may destroy me at the same time and but but, but if that if that happens then great it's, it's done what it's meant to do right and the debut was at the venice film festival i believe and then this is its second uh like festival and it got obviously a very prestigious festival to be at sundance um yes it's looking like uh, may 2022 i think it's looking like <laughs> as a release so I watched those four movies. And then again, I have another, um, another movie that I know zero about, uh, that I'm watching tonight that big tuna recommend. I don't even remember what it's called, but he was like, buy this, but don't look or buy your ticket. Don't look it up. Don't read anything <laughs> going cold. Um, so it's, but he, he promised me it's more fun than, uh, happening. Right. Um, <laughs> that said, I'll, I'll talk about that movie next week. Um, I did catch James Gunn's first four episodes of peacemaker on HBO max. How is it? Okay, I'm having a blast. I really like James Gunn's The Suicide Squad. I actually, Same. I think I loved that movie. Surprised and how much I really liked that film. I am, I, I'm a longtime wrestling fan. I, I go in and out. I'm currently on the out. I haven't watched WWE in probably six years actively. I've caught a match here and there, but yeah. I've not actively kept up with storylines and arcs. But I, when Cena first came, it was the first time I stopped watching wrestling. When like Cena became like a big time star in like early 2000s, I stopped. Like, I was like, what is this Marky Mark wannabe? You know, like, what is going on? You couldn't on? see him. 
Yeah, and so I stopped watching because uh, I couldn't see him. I was like, whatever. Um, <laughs> and then uh, oh, I saw man. him start to get like acting things, and he was getting like the Marine, and then there was yeah. like, twelve rounds, and it was like the generic WWE action movies that uh, they had tried with Hogan and failed. They tried with Stone Cold, and those failed. The Rock started to fail, and yeah. then The Rock found his his style, right? Like, and then suddenly The Rock's movies. Obviously, The Rock's like one of the biggest movie stars now. Yeah, period. Action comedy a star. Yeah, Cena found his wheelhouse first with train wreck because he's the boyfriend yes. to amy schumer in that and he's hilarious in that role funnier um, than he had, than anyone ever thought he was completely right it was, it was no one saw that coming and then we got to see him uh become a comedic superstar he's he fits in comedy so much better than any <laughs> other area yeah. um i mean you look at like blockers he's hilarious that in blockers. was what like, i was gonna say blockers is the film yeah. was the film was fine but he was really good in it and then he has um, he's a small role in Sisters. That was the Tina Fey and Amy Poehler movie. Yep. Um, but he's like my favorite part of that movie. He's like tatted up real hard and like he's super fun. Again, Cena's really proven himself as a comedic actor and as a superhero, or in this case, the super quote unquote maybe villain, maybe not, because that's the whole part of the ambiguity of Suicide Squad is like, are they good or are they bad? Or at least that's how they've been played so far in the movies. Um, Peacemaker was an interesting character in that the movie and they've really this is after the events of the suicide squad so that is worthy okay. of note and part of the character is reconciling with that and also like the internal internal turmoil because he thinks of himself as a hero but he seems to be aware of that like that's not necessarily how other people view him and he's like struggling with elements of it but he's also still the prodigy of his upbringing right like he's this this is mm-hmm. what you have product of his upbringing i'm not sure why i said prodigy but um it's it's funny man if you like james gunn's style of humor it's all over this show it's wild it's a little bit crazy violent it is a better comedy than it is a superhero action show for sure like there is some action in it and some of the action has been quite good but it definitely is a it's a sitcom first it's like a 40 minute sitcom like it is definitely leaning on the comedy um, and it's, I'm having a blast with it. I think the setup of some of the new characters that they've introduced have been really cool. Um, it's, I think it's a eight or nine episode series. So we're only halfway through, but uh, so far I'm having a blast with it and, um, having more fun so far than the book of Boba Fett. Sorry to say, um, <sighs> which I did catch episode four. I do think episode four has some good in it. It still didn't pull me in. And maybe at this point I've just like cooled too much on it and it mm-hmm. has to chisel that out and it hasn't so far. So maybe episode five tomorrow will do that, but I don't know. Or yesterday, if you're listening to this on Thursday. Well, I will give you my honest opinion of it, if I like it or not via message anyway. But uh, as you know, HBO Max isn't in the United Kingdom yet. And I know a lot of people have been uh, messaging James Gunn on Twitter and, it from the UK saying, like, when are we getting this show? And he's come back and said, Look, you know, I don't handle distribution, so I don't know. I, he, uh, and he said he, he pushed for it to be released internationally as as quick, as soon as possible after the US, but, you know, these things out of his hand. So I don't know when we're going to get Peacemaker over here, but from what I've yeah. heard from most people, it's it's a blast. It's, it's good fun. And yeah. it's J- James Gunn doing James Gunn, John Cena showing how fun he can be with a character yeah. who was... <clears throat> one of the well i say one of the better parts of a very good film he was and he was one of the pieces of a very good film so i, I yeah. would be interested in, in watching that because i think the stylings are there for a very decent fun little romp i think so too i i was hesitant to jump into it i actually started watching it on sunday and got caught up yes last night <clears throat> last night and mm-hmm. I, I don't regret it i thought it was a lot of, in fact um, it was how I kind of wa- I watched happening, and I was like, I need I need to wind down. I need something <laughs> silly. And I was like, I was glad I saved me an episode of Peacemaker, which again, it's not totally silly. There is some drama in it, and there is a, there is some violence. I mean, it's a superhero, super villain slash superhero show. So there is like some excessive. It's James Gunn. You know, you're going to have yeah. the the trauma elements of Gunn's career is definitely shining through the Suicide Squad, in my opinion. Like I think you see a lot of the the violence and the, that extreme gore that he can't do in guardians no but he can in the rated r of the suicide squad and the series is definitely rated r like it's, it's this is hbo for sure like it's earning the the hbo you know branding um and i think he's having fun with it i think he, he likes to be able to flex that muscle you know like he doesn't necessarily have to do it all the time but if you've seen slither too um yeah he, he, he's good at the body horror and there's a little bit here it's it's not excessive but it's there 
<coughs> uh, well, I look forward to one day checking it out, possibly this side of the decade. Yes. Well, listeners, we are basically done. But before we go, we have to check in to make sure our bloody awesome levels are staying at maximum capacity. Because being this bloody awesome is not easy. It takes effort and intentionality behind everything we do. So I have to ask Matt, how are you staying bloody awesome this week? Uh, I've learned to do the Macarena, John. Ah, I will be ending this podcast episode right now. Uh, thank you for coming. No, uh, is that because really, you mastered it years ago? So many years ago. I said, like, why? Why now? What happened? What brought it back to the forefront? I went to this kid's party, man, and that was why I've been staying bloody awesome. But I was having a blast at this party. But um, but by by uh, by by one of the question, one of the, the the entertainer. Let me get the words out. The entertainer there said, right, you know, kids, if you want to win this prize got to get your parents up to do a dance and of course if they can do it properly you'll win a prize and i thought you manipulative sob i was like <laughs> oh, right, okay so i was like okay i'll come of course i will you know olivia comes running up so come on daddy i want to win i said oh, of course we're going to win this um so went up there and the guys are like, right we've got to do the macarena i thought oh, i've got no idea how to do this goddamn dance it's it's like, haunted me at every kind of disco or party since i was however old i was when it came out um but I got it. I quickly got it, John. You know, I was watching the the guy, the entertainer who was doing it. I got it. And guess what? We damn well won one of those prizes because oh, I nice. nailed the Macarena. So, uh, yeah, she won some sweets. She won um, some balloon stuff, um, you know, kids party stuff. But it was for me, it was the bragging right. So I did go back and I did allow myself to have one of those beers as a celebratory pat on the back. Uh, whilst the children all got absolutely hammered on cake and sugar. But, um, yeah. Learning to learn to do the Macarena and my first ever foray into a dance competition. I'm taking a big W, my friend. So that's how I've been staying bloody awesome. So for you, John, top that. <laughs> so at Christmas, this guy from England sent me a Criterion gift card. It may have king. been you. Um, what a man. I knew that my favorite podcast, the Blank Check podcast, favorite podcast that I'm not a part of. Um, hmm was going to be covering Jane Campion. So I was looking through uh, the, what's new, what's coming out. And sure enough, by coincidence, Criterion was dropping the the piano, um, which is Jane Campion's biggest film, one I've never seen. It's a big gap on my list, especially because it is a uh, uh, best. She gets a nomination for best director, which mm-hmm. is one of the um, only women to be nominated. Uh, I don't think she wins now. I'm not sure I'm hesitating on all of this, but um, it's it's a movie that's been on my gap list for a while, so I immediately snagged it. Now it's er, it's a pre order, so I pre ordered. I think it was Christmas Day or the day after Christmas that I did that. I, I pre ordered it almost instantly. You laughed because I was like, I had the card for all of like five minutes. I'm like, I ordered five minutes, uh, yeah. yeah. And um, but it doesn't come out till January 24th. So last mm-hmm. week, I got the shipping confirmation that my my Blu-ray had shipped. And it arrived yesterday uh, on the 24th, exactly the day it was apparently released, um, which I, now I'm thinking it must have been the 25th because movies come out on Tuesdays. But nevertheless, uh, I got my, my Blu-ray yesterday. I have not watched it yet. I will be watching it this week because the Sunday this Sunday's episode is The Piano. So I'm very yeah. excited that uh, thanks to you. Um, and again, I love Criterion. It's not something I, I try not to buy too many. I probably buy five to six a year and I always buy them around the sales, which is usually July and November. That's when they do the half price sales at Barnes and Noble and Amazon matches it. So if you can't get it at Barnes and Noble, you can get it on Amazon. Um, and otherwise I don't buy criteria because they're usually pretty expensive. They're like at the normal price yes. is 40. So when you get it for half off, you're paying like full price for a normal Blu-ray. But a lot of times you get stuff that you just don't get with everything else. Like the, the, you get essays, you get special features that are usually interviews or documentaries, sometimes director's cuts. And some movies, will they'll include a whole other movie with the, the Blu-ray. Yeah. If it's something like a documentary or um, sometimes like uh, like a Hitchcock film, the, if it's one of his silent films, they'll like couple it with another one of his silent films that aren't, isn't even on the box. It's like on the back of the box in small print. Like, hey, also we gave you this one just yeah. in case. It's a slippery um, slope, man. So I was very excited that uh, of this this particular director, this is the movie that everyone associates with her. Um, my first film from her was actually Pow- the uh, Power of the Dog, which dropped on Netflix, and yeah. I really liked that movie. Um, so I'm very excited to see the piano, which is supposed to be her her magnum opus, like the masterpiece of her career. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm excited to get it. I love I like being a physical media collector still, even though I try not to buy so much physical media. 
Um, the Criterion are the only ones that I'm keeping in their boxes. Uh, like all my other Blu-rays, I've broken down into like sleeves and have into like boxes. So they're safely stored, but they are taking up far less shelf space. Mm-hmm. But my Criterion stay in their boxes. And so um, it's one of the few pieces of like uh, physical media that I keep in its original packaging. And it is now on my shelf with my other Criterion. So that's just it. It's a slippery slope, my friend, because you, a guy, some guy in Florida, great dude, sent me uh, Night of the Living Dead. And the marriage story criterion, which I really mm-hmm. wanted, both of those. Um, and I have seen, I have watched them both since, and I've indulged in the booklets and everything that came with them and all the art, uh, work within. It, it, it's a slippery slope because you get them and you think, you know, I, I, I might, let's just see what other ones there are. And then you see what these other ones come with. Like you were saying, sometimes mm-hmm. they come with additional films and you're like, Jesus, you know, this, this is going to cost me a fortune. It's like any kind of collection. It, you could really, really get roped into this and, I need to I need to uh, indulge in your habit of putting my Blu-rays in sleeves because I've got one, two, three, about five or six shelves worth there, and it, I'm really struggling with space now. So I may have to ditch the boxes, which kind of pains me a little bit. But that is a bloody awesome way of staying. Bloody awesome. That's you know that's what we do here. So next week we're actually watching another movie that dropped a month ago in the states, but now finally hitting uh, the the streets in the UK, if you will. Um, Sing 2, which yes, I am a fan of. I actually really like Sing 2, and I am ready to defend it on the show next week. So we'll, uh, we won't get into what I liked, but uh, we'll hear Matt's take and my take on our next episode. In the meantime, you can follow us on social media. On Instagram, we are at Bloody Awesome Movie Pod, and on Twitter, at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. If you choose to still read books on your face, uh, you can just search <laughs> Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast on that old Facebook app. Um, individually, you can find me at BerkReviews.com. Right now, I have a, a guest writer on my site who is watching the, all of the Showa era uh, Godzilla films. His second nice. article just posted today. Uh, Godzilla Raids Again, I believe, is the, the second film in the, in the list. Um, so check those out. And, of course, I'm posting some things on occasion. I'm writing a little less these days, but... Uh, work starting to balance out again. So I might start writing a little more, um, but I'm definitely posting the podcast every week. So check those out, uh, subscribe to the site and you can follow me on my socials at burkreviews.com or at burkreviews. I should say, Matt, where can they find you? Uh, well, I watch tonight.co.uk uh, and across all the social network media sites, including meta every now and then what I watch tonight. And of course, letterboxd. Um, if you like what we're doing here at the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast, we ask that you just pause what you're doing, whatever it is that you're doing. We know you're probably listening while driving. If you are, you know, maybe at the next light, pull over to the gas station, fill up. Uh, and while you're sitting there, give us that five-star rating. Yep. It helps grab other listeners to find us. Yeah, stop in, grab a donut, maybe a coffee. It's cold outside right now. You know, you got to stay <laughs> warm. Um, it helps other listeners find the show. So that five-star rating, if you can take just a moment of your time to do that, really, really helps us out. Um, and with that, We encourage you to keep watching movies and stay bloody awesome. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Blah, 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 bl